So say we all. 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 everyone and welcome back to who ain't company my name is Britt, and i'm drew our featured guest for june wears many hats one of them a bowler he's a writer actor professional scotsman dino crockbait and skydiver on top of that he's a space traveler who also travels through time it's travis ritchie we'll talk his career doctor who and have a strangely spoiler free conversation about his tv selection sci-fi's battlestar galactica but before that let's join our uk team james and ian who will discuss twitch's run on classic who the new face behind the music of the upcoming series, the footage leak, and football scores. And all that's coming up, well, now. Yes, hello and welcome to Who and Company London Branch. I am James and I'm joined by Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, James. How are things, Ian? I'm feeling very good. Be- being properly British, we just lost in the World Cup and we're happy about this. <laughs> This is football, real football. Yes, so proper football, soccer. where you use your foot. <laughs> Basically, when nothing happens, this was essentially a dead rubber, uh, but it's it's really, really important anyway for fans of, of football, uh, particularly if you've got an interest in how your national team do. And uh, yeah, well, we're playing in Russia. We scored zero goals and we're still through to the second round. And we're all, so we're all really, very happy about really it. interesting. Yeah, they're wonderfully uh, happy. Americans won't understand being happy about losing, but we're happy about it. It, it, It's just the intricacies of of the way the World Cup is structured. And uh, I mean, considering Brent and uh, and Drew are going to be talking Inspector Space Time and Battlestar Galactica, I I just felt it was right uh, (laughs) uh, to talk about soccer because it's just it just fits in so well. Absolutely. Yes. And a cup of tea with that as well. <laughs> Talking of things that fit in really well, I, I've been reading. Um, I've been reading a book, you know, a, a book like with pages and <laughs> things. A book. Do you remember those? Vaguely. I, I'm so used to listening to to big finish stuff now, and uh, and and the kind of compromise is that this book has been written by a big finish author, a chap called Stephen Hall, um, and he wrote uh, a fantastic big finish play, Doctor Who big finish play, called A Death in the Family. Uh, remains one of my favourite plays, and I thought off the back of that, I'm going to read his book. And he's only written one book, as far as I know. Um, he'll probably tell me that's not the case now, but it's called The Raw Shark Texts. And it's a really weird book, very sci-fi. I'm really enjoying it. And the reason why I'm talking about it now is because the main character, who's called Eric, has a cat. And do you know the name of his cat in this story? I have to say I don't. Ian. 
Oh, I see. I have a namesake in Doctor Who. Well, another one. Well, yeah, what a brilliant... Though, yeah, but this time you're a cat and it's got nothing to do with Doctor Who. I I, mean, I just think Ian is a fantastic name for a cat. Ian is a fast, fantastic name for anything. Particularly a cat. Yeah, I, I, I will defer to you on that particular point. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't expect the conversation to go in this direction, did you? And I'm pretty certain Brent and Drew didn't either. So uh, um, let's let's actually c- cover the, the who part of who and company, shall we? And uh, talk about um, a little piece of news that broke earlier on this week. Um, now this was a this was a spoiler, so um, we're not going to go into any details, listeners. Don't worry if, if you've um, if you've protected yourself already, we won't spoil it for you. Uh, but suffice to say that uh, things leak from the Doctor Who office on other people's watch other than Stephen Moffat and Russell T Davis and a small segment of Jodie Whittaker's first episode leaked online earlier this week. Oh, okay. I I have to say I'm completely oblivious to this because I've been staying out of the Doctor Who news feeds for a while now, actually. So uh, I know nothing at all about this this, uh, alleged leak and what it may show. Yeah, oh, well, it's it's it depends on the scale or your or your spoiler threshold. I think if you well, if you remember back in two thousand and five, the whole of Rose leaked online a couple of weeks before it was due to air, and so many people, so many of our friends. Uh, you know, have very clear memories of downloading that 45-minute episode that had leaked. This is nothing like that. <laughs> this is just a few, few minutes that you actually have to go digging for on the internet if you want to watch it now. And and there's no story points. It probably was a BBC trailer um, that was, just got leaked early or was going to get played in San Diego or something. But I, I, I would say on the whole, it was, it was quite interesting. I enjoyed watching it and... Uh, I can't say any more than that, really, because there wasn't any more story or content to the leak than 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 that. But it does mean that Doctor Who has been back in the back in the media over in the UK after what seems to be a very long time. It has been very quiet. I mean, I, I've not been seeking things out. Equally, I I do live here, and given that it's it's due back in what another couple of months, we're not far off now. It's only about eight weeks mm-hmm. away or so, and frankly, there's still essentially nothing going on at all. So, yeah, they've certainly kept their cards close to their chest so far. Well, yeah, just not as close as as they would like, I guess. And um, the, the one other detail which I will mention was that uh, there was the disclosure of a new version of a scientific object that a doctor is known for carrying. So images and videos are of that particular instrument are available should you should you wish to uh, go looking for them but uh, but that that was met with quite a reaction as well and, and does it look decent uh, by which i mean is it pink is it a lipstick is it something <laughs> horrible or does it look like you expect it to okay it's not pink yay um it does it look decent I would say that you know, and it's a very obvious place to go. It's it is it does resemble an object you'd really rather not see in, in what is ostensibly a children's show. I will say that. Goodness gracious me! Yes, I know, I know, and I think it glows at the end as well. I see, but but I mean, I need to be very careful how I word this now. <laughs> They've not made it overtly feminine. It's just another bit of technology. No, it, it's it's certainly not overtly feminine, I don't think. But um, but but the thing that it looks like could be, and I, I think we better move on before um, Brent starts getting the scissors out and chopping this conversation uh, because it's it's going to go into a uh, um, particular 
areas that Brent and Drew has so far avoided. So anyway, let's 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 move on. I'll just leave <laughs> that conversation dangling there. Um, on to far less controversial uh, news, I think. Um, Murray Gold's replacement has been announced, um, and Segan Akinola is going to score the Jodie Whittaker era, or at least <laughs> he's going to do season eleven anyway. Do we know what they've done in the past? I can't say I'm familiar with the name. What, what's their body of work? What, what we know them from? There's there's a lot of stuff that he's done um, from television in the past. I mean, I don't have a list in front of me, but he's not a complete rookie. He's he's not come out of the out of the blue. But he's done documentaries. There's been some other uh, dramas that he scored as well. So he's an experienced composer. Uh, certainly not as well known as, as as Murray Gold. But having said that, I'm not entirely certain how well Murray Gold was <laughs> prior to his. Um, appointment as composer on Doctor Who back mm-hmm. in 2005 so uh, I, I think it's it, it's interesting um, mainly because we got confirmation from the BBC uh, something which we knew already um, there will be a new arrangement of the Doctor Who theme for Jodie Whittaker's era. Oh good I, I have to say I, I never took to the Capaldi version of the theme there was just something about it that just the, 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 the sort of that high-pitched tone that went through it i can't remember the name of it now there's a a, name of the instrument yeah it it just never it never worked for me i didn't like it I, i wasn't a fan of that version so i'm glad to see the back of it me too it was the worst theme let's face it it was the worst theme ever to have graced the show <laughs> and they and they didn't change it for the three years that capaldi was in the role which is a real shame um it, it it's ironic for me because um the capaldi titles are my favorite i think of the new era uh, i love the idea of uh, the cogs going round, you know turning time uh, throughout the universe i think that's a wonderful idea but mm. the the accompanying theme music um especially when the uh you know, the main part kicks in. Ugh, I completely theremin. agree with you. It's That's horrible. Theremin, that was the word I was looking for. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I don't like that. <laughs> Decided. Anyway, the last thing, the the, the phenomenon um, that, is, that has taken Doctor Who fandom, I would say, over the last month or so, uh, is Doctor Who on Twitch TV. Okay. How about Doctor Who on Twitch TV? Has that been tickling your interest? Has that come onto your radar? I'm afraid it hasn't, no. Oh, I'm so glad we're recording. I, I think I, it, this is where people have done basically commentary tracks for classic episodes, correct? No. Oh, I've got completely the wrong Not end of the quite. stick then. Yeah, well, you're halfway there, but essentially Twitch TV um, has, uh, has been streaming um, for at least three to four weeks now and they're doing an entire marathon of the classic series of who so mm-hmm. you literally just download the app or you can watch it on your on your computer it, it's not like catch-up tv if um if you want to watch a particular episode then you need to tune in at a particular time old school and on the right yes it's pretty much old school actually yes well, i guess maybe that's why it's piqued so many old classic fans interests however it blends with new fandom perfectly on the right hand side of the screen which fortunately you can turn off but there's this chat thing um where you've got basically a whole bunch of really young Doctor Who fans, or they seem to be younger anyway, um, because I don't understand half of what it is that they're saying, um, where, where they're asking some what we would consider to be very general and vague questions about the episode or what they're seeing on screen. But it is a joy to watch it. Well, I, I, I say it's a joy. It's a joy in small chunks for me to see a new audience appreciate some old Doctor Who. I think that is that's really fun. But practically and logistically i can't do 
two things at once in any walk of life and trying to watch a Doctor Who episode and read the commentary that frankly is moving at about 30 miles an hour on the right hand side of the screen does my brain in. I feel exhausted after having watched an episode. That's just because you're old, James. I mean, the youth of today are using two or three screens at a time. So it'll be walk in the park for them. <laughs> I, I, you're older than me, aren't you? Uh, probably, yes. But um... yeah, Maybe you're, you're just better <laughs> equipped <laughs> in the brain department. I, I, but... I, I was aware that Twitch... This was happening. I'd seen some talk about it on places like Facebook and so on. I've not watched it myself because as a good classic fan, I've got all the episodes already, so I don't need to go and watch them particularly at a particular time. I think it's a great thing. I think that my, my, my feeling for this is that they're doing this as a way to start the process of building up the buzz before the launch of the new series because that's what you do is you, you, you start events and things happening and slowly you build up the awareness in the public that uh, the brand's coming back after it's been away for a little while and for them to lead with classic who to do that i love i love that they're, they're using that as a vehicle and if it brings some modern fans back into the classic era great i'm all for that so mm-hmm. I, I think this is a good thing and I'm, I'm very glad to see that they're not it would have been temp that the last few years of moffat in particular got very very indulgent with the old the old who there was a lot of fan service going on and although i'm very much in the mode that i want this new area to be clear and fresh and not making constant backwards references and absolutely not to try to sort of do a greatest hits of, of old who which i think a lot of the capaldi era did equally i don't want it to just pretend that the that the old classic stuff never existed so i'm glad to see that they've actually you know included it in their sort of uh, public relations material Gotcha. So you basically want everything, really. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a Doctor Who fan. Of course I want everything. On a stick. I, I, I think, do you know what? I think you're entitled to get it as well. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> it, well, it, it seems to have been a massive success, Twitch, certainly. And what I find quite amusing is that you get all of the old school. So, you know, the podcasters, you know, sorry, Brent, sorry, Drew, sorry, Ian, um, you know, who, who are watching this phenomenon take place, kind of taking a view on it in a parental way saying oh bless look at the new fans you know they've spelt heart more with with an a or something you know it is this is kind of um reassurance that the old fans are seeking that actually they do know more than this lovely new generation who are finding doctor who it's really quite funny uh, <laughs> seeing how fans are, are trying to find a new place in in the fan hierarchy so it's uh, i think it's a great thing and um the only thing i i can't do is 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 just read and watch the television <laughs> show at the same time so anyway i think we've outstayed our welcome already so we should hand straight back to brent and drew um and of course i fully expect this segment to be led out of with a theme tune for our segment do you think brent and drew have done a theme tune for our little segment yet ian i would hope so i, I expect a theme tune I, I had one on the dwp and if i don't get one here mm. i might just have to go back to my dressing room yeah i'd i'd, I'd, I'd like a jingle want a jingle <laughs>
How's that for a theme? Thanks, guys. We'll catch up with you again next month in July. And now, our featured interview with Travis Ritchie. This month's guest is a writer and actor who has appeared on such television programs as Pretty Little Liars, The Event, and Community. Travis Ritchie, welcome to Who and Company. <laughs> the Event. <laughs> who watches The Event? Uh, if, if one of your viewers or listeners uh, remembers The Event, I would be amazed. Well, I thought about going with the uh, giant monster versus other giant monster uh, movie. The Dino Croc versus Super Gator? Yeah. That was uh, David Carradine's last movie, by by the way. Was it? Did oh. you get a chance to yeah. meet him? No, <laughs> no. He, he shot his stuff in Hawaii or wherever he, wherever he was, and all of us were out in the jungle getting eaten by uh, dino crocs. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> like, like you do. And I, I, uh, I have not gotten a chance to watch that particular film. Uh, did you get eaten by a dino croc? Oh, I did. I did, in fact. Uh, I think it is the dino croc that I got eaten by. And uh, it's a, that was actually a fun shoot. I was asked to do it by the director who directed a, another um, like sci-fi channel monster movie called uh, Cry of the Winged Serpent, where I, did, I worked for him as an extra, and then uh, they had me back as an extra, and then when I was on set the second time as an extra, one of the one of the principals just left because the the filming experience was just so awful that he just left, and so they needed someone to do his role, so they cast me as him on the spot. And so in the movie uh, Cry of the Winged Serpent, I got eaten by the serpent three times uh, as three <laughs> different characters. And um, so that was fun. And then they had me back to do Dino Croc and uh, uh, or Dino Croc versus Super Gator, the epic mashup of, of two notable franchises. Um, but they uh, it was so funny because they called me and they were like, well, do you have your own mercenary uh, outfit? And and I'm like, no, I, I don't. Um, and but it just so happens that I know someone who does, who because he actually was a mercenary. And so I called up my friend Clive and said, hey, I need to borrow some, uh, like, a jungle mercenary uh, uh, wardrobe. And, uh, and he, he outfit me, like, with everything. I was in camo gear. I had, the, I had the cool hat, the goggles, the scarf that you put around your neck. Because even though you're in the jungle, you have wear a scarf to keep the snakes from going down your collar. Yeah. And... Um, and so I show up on set with all this gear, and all the other people in my mercenary crew that I was with uh, were all just in black jumpsuits. Like, no effort was put whatsoever into... And so I was the, I'm the only one... So you watch the video, you watch the movie, and uh, we come tromping through the forest with our rifles. By the way, I was the only one with military training, so I was the only one who knew how to hold a gun correctly. <laughs> and so uh, so we're all walking through the forest, and so it's... I'm the last one in line, so it's, you know, black jumpsuit, black jumpsuit, black jumpsuit, and then me, person who actually looks like he belongs there. Um, 
So it was kind of funny. And, uh, and, and I should say, too, going back, that the event was a really fun thing for me to shoot um, because I got to play uh, a SETI technician. I was the top of the show. I had a whole scene, which is a pretty cool thing for an actor at that level. Uh, and then I get shot in the back of the head, which was a cool experience. Um, so I remember that show. I never watched it, but I remember it. You know, I watched it when on. I was when it was on uh, because it was supposed to be the new Lost. It was supposed to be the kind of this like show that has a mystery. Um, the problem was is that they never told you what the mystery was exactly. There were a, kind of a bunch of different things going on. There were aliens who were on Earth, and it was a conspiracy to keep them hidden. But then some of them weren't hidden. But you never know what the event is. Like, what is the event? And I feel like you should. You should say what the event is in the in the first episode, otherwise you risk losing your audience and 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 it also wasn't all that well written. So Honestly whatever. I thought the event was the show itself. Like this was gonna be oh. the this show is gonna be such a big deal, we're just gonna call it the event and get that out of the way. Ha. So Yeah. Yeah, that that would have been funny. Um, at the end of the uh, oh there there is something that happens in the pilot where like uh, an airplane teleports from one place to like somewhere else and then you're like is this the event but then at the end of the movie like a whole planet teleports into earth orbit and then you're like oh is this the event and you did but you never know for sure the event could have been you just getting shot in the back of the head i mean you know it could have been that was that was a pretty big event for you it was uh and and my character was the uh, was the ultimate event i suppose but oh well did you? What was the question? <laughs> we actually haven't even gotten to the questions yet, so oh, let's go ahead right, and jump to, to that because we're we're talking about the various roles that you have played. Did you always want to be an actor? Yeah, I think uh, I've definitely always wanted to be an actor. I think I realized that it's what I needed to do with my life when I was about fourteen, and I was cast in the freshman production of Godspell at my high school, and uh, something clicked in me at that point and um ever since then I, I know that it's been one, what i've been meant to do like it's it's like a calling for me like people who go into the priesthood uh or become doctors or something it's that's just what i'm meant to do and the only problem was i was born a kind of lower middle class kid in midwest wisconsin and i had no idea how the entertainment industry worked so it took a lot of years for me just to get out to la and then start building a career and all that stuff so it uh it's definitely been an uphill climb that's cool uh, i know i'm always jealous of people who whatever they've they're doing in their life they refer to it as a calling like this is the thing i was meant to do because yeah there's just there's a lot out there to do you know uh, mm-hmm. before we started recording we were talking about uh jumping from airplanes and that's something i would you know i would love to do not professionally i don't you know i haven't done it yet so maybe maybe that's my calling and i just don't know but there's so much out there to do i couldn't imagine uh focusing on one thing but there's a certain beauty to acting is that you can pretend to be so many other things and that is exactly right like uh, you know I, I do have an interest in many different things like I, I have an interest in law and law enforcement and science and teaching and all those things and uh, that's one of the things I've always thought is that 
ideally being an actor would allow you to experience a little bit of all of that and uh and there is a difference between a passion and um you know experiences i think it's important for us as humans to have experiences um but it took me a long time to realize that not only do like the for me the i wanted to be an actor so badly that i just assumed everybody in the world did mm-hmm. and i, I just thought that they did and it took me a long time to learn that first not everybody in the world wants to be an actor and second not everybody has a passion mm-hmm. at all and so uh and so for that i'm grateful because it has given my life a direction even though it's probably the worst thing you could choose to do with your life um because it's so difficult and the odds are so stacked against you right but uh, I, I am grateful that at least I have that direction. So I've always kind of been focused on that. Did you uh, move straight from Wisconsin to Los Angeles and say, you know, here I am? Uh... Well, I went, to, I went to school in Minneapolis first at the University of Minnesota uh, because that's just what I thought you did. And uh, I kind of now wish that I hadn't bothered with that. Uh, it would have been maybe better if I had just come to L.A., um, but I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, so I did it the only way I could have. Um, and I went to school and I wasn't very good at school mostly because I didn't, I didn't think I needed it. Um, but I was in the air force ROTC, which was kind of an adventure that I enjoyed. And I did give some very serious thought to being a commissioned officer and having a career in the air force because it was, it would have been an adventure. I probably would have been able to do something that was at least interesting to me and I would have made good money. And at the age of 41, I could have retired with a full pension, probably been had a fair amount of money in the bank because you don't spend much on room and board or, um, you know, housing or anything like that. So, um, you know, I gave that very serious thought, but then ended up, uh, I I had migraines when I was a kid. And so that was on my medical record. And uh, at the time, this was uh, right before 9-11. So it was peacetime and they were being very picky. So they, even though my test scores were in the top 2%, they didn't want me. Mm. Um, So... So once I got kicked out of the ROTC, uh, then I was like, well, I don't know why I'm bothering staying at school. So I dropped out of school, um, took several years to figure out how to get to L.A. and uh, before I actually did. And, uh, but finally, yeah, I moved to L.A. and then uh, started my career out here. What was the first thing you auditioned for? Well, uh, in LA, it was different. So I did a I did a thing in Minneapolis where I was uh, cast in an episode of a Comedy Central show called Let's Bowl, uh, which was on you know this would have been sixteen seventeen years ago, and uh, it was a bowling game show. But they also had like sketches in the middle of it. So I played like the shoe rental dude, and. Um, I also, but the bigger thing was that I actually got a callback, uh, an audition and a callback for the role of Lex Luthor in Smallville. What? Um, yeah. So that was my big thing at the time where I was uh, very like, oh, wow, this would be great. Obviously, I didn't get it. And I really love what uh, Michael Rosenbaum did with the role. But, um, but yeah, that was my, for a while, my big claim to fame in Minneapolis. Before I moved to L.A. And then and once I got to L.A., I, uh, I think the first thing I did, I don't know if I, it was my first audition, but the first role I had was a uh, National Geographic um, recreation uh, video uh, show called uh, Expeditions to the Edge. 
and I played a Scottish submarine pilot who gets stuck at the bottom of the ocean. That's yeah. I'm kind of curious as to how that that uh, audition goes, but that, you know, you certainly don't have to recreate that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was inter- what was interesting about that audition is that uh, I rehearsed it first of all trying to get a scottish accent down i went to all the different sources that i could find so i was like okay well you know scotty from star trek and uh that's he's not a, that's actually actually a great scottish accent you know and all it is is you know i could think admiral there'll be whales here and I, no that's not right and then there's uh there's a uh, uh, groundskeeper willie from uh from uh simpsons and but that's obviously not a great scottish accent either it's mostly just uh you know uh you know what uh Gosh, if elected mayor, my first act will be to kill the lot of you and burn you down to cinders. And that's not really great. And then I was thinking, oh, Braveheart. But all the Scottish speaking is just shouting and yelling. <laughs> and all the actual normal speech is English. Uh, and so finally, I don't know where I went finally for a good Scottish accent. But I learned the sides with a S- Scottish accent. And when I went in to audition they told me not to bother with the accent. And I had never said the words once without an accent. And so I went through the through the scene and it was just awful. And I asked them if I could do it again uh with the accent. And uh they let me do it again with the accent and it was it was much, much better. And so and then they cast me. Uh and then ended up uh not they cut out all my lines anyway. So you you don't hear any of the actual actors speak. It's all voiceover. So, whatever. Most of our listeners know you from season three of Community, where you were Inspector Spacetime. Yes. Basically an alternate version of the Doctor. Were you already a Doctor Who fan? Well, when I was a kid, uh, we had Doctor Who on PBS um, in Wisconsin. So I would watch it because my older brothers, who were 10 and 12 years older than I was, they would watch it. And so uh, I watched a lot of those kind of 70s, 80s sci-fi shows because they did. And uh, I remember Tom Baker was my Doctor at the time. But I was so young that when he regenerated, I didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't get the idea that it was a character who was being played by an actor who was being replaced with another actor. And so I just completely lost interest. Um, But I always had friends who were into Doctor Who. So I was always around. In fact, one of my friends had a spare bedroom in his house that he converted into a TARDIS, that he had a whole TARDIS console and, uh, and, and you know, another one of my friends was learning how to play the Doctor Who theme song on his it wasn't a piano, it was a keyboard, I guess. Uh, and so I was always kind of around it, but then I, but I hadn't really watched it. And I had watched one episode of the new series. Uh, it was the Agatha Christie episode with the giant bees or the wasps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Unicorn, Unicorn and the Wasps. And it's yeah. not a great episode. And I, I, at least I don't think so. I mean, comparatively speaking. And so that was my experience with the show. And I remember thinking, oh, this is Doctor Who? All right, whatever. So I, I, I let it, I didn't bother getting back into it until I auditioned 
for community. And the uh, it was I I don't know how I knew enough about it, but I knew enough about it that the the way the character was written in the script uh, was referencing the newest doctor at the time, which was Matt Smith, um, because they said something about having a bow tie. And so I watched Matt Smith's first episode, which is great, 11th Hour. And, uh, and so I, I watched that and I was like, oh, this is great. So I went and auditioned, then got the role, and then went back and started watching the Christopher, Christopher Eccleston uh, from the beginning and watched the whole thing through, watched Torchwood, then had to watch Doctor Who again because it went so fast that I kind of forgot some of it, didn't really absorb it. So yes, uh, and now I'm watching everything all the time. That's cool. Do you have a favorite Doctor? Oh, yeah, Tennant. Yeah. He uh, and he is my favorite not only from um I, I think it's part of partly as an actor I look at him and I see that he just was the doctor. He inhabited the role so completely um rather than rather than watching an actor playing a role, he just was the role. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you, you listen to interviews with him and he sort of like the part he was born to play sort of what yeah. got him into acting in the first place interesting yeah it's kind of like the difference between uh like michael keaton's batman and uh val kilmer or george clooney's batman right yeah. right nipples <laughs> right We're talking especially about nipples. george clooney yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> rubber nipples. rubber nipples or the difference between uh christopher or christian's christian bale's first outing as batman and his second and third sure his first one he he inhabited the role and he was batman and bruce wayne in the second and third ones he just kind of was playing the character yeah i that seems to happen a lot i think the same thing happened to uh, johnny depp in pirates of the caribbean do you think it's putting all that energy to establish the role and then maybe uh feeling like like i don't know i know a lot of actors are like we like these roles and we like the people that we're working with, but we kind of want to move on. That's sort of the, the joy of acting. Like as an actor, would you rather have a bunch of new and exciting roles or would you rather have, because uh, it's a job, one yeah. gig that you were guaranteed that you were going to have from point A to point B? Well, I mean, you want to work at all and uh, I would be happy working. But if I if I could, I think ideally I would want to do a, um, a, a genre TV show. Uh-huh. Uh, something like Star Trek or um, or you know sci-fi especially because in non-genre shows something like um, you know CSI or something all the interesting things happen to the guest stars. Right, it's the guest stars yes. that get to all the interesting things. But in a sci-fi show, the regular cast gets to do interesting things, I and mean, so that yeah. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, I know people who have joined the Navy because of their love of Star Trek. Did science fiction have anything to do with your interest in joining the Air Force? Um, possibly, because one of the things, one of my extended goals from going to the Air Force was I wanted to go into NASA. Right. Cool. And uh, although they never did draw heavily on the Air Force for pilots, they did draw a lot on the Navy, but they got some pilots from the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really would have loved to um, to do that, yeah. Do you have, like, if you had a, your kind of druthers as a, as a character on a show, when you watch science fiction, have you found a character that you kind of went, I wish I could have played that part? 
specifically not so much because it you know it would be uh, a career making part but like you feel like you could really inhabit that role it just kind of across the board as far as sci-fi is concerned oh goodness uh that's a good one um i mean i think uh, going back to smallville i would have loved to put my stamp on lex Luthor. yeah uh i think that would have been a fun thing i i also auditioned for um barry allen in the flash the new series and yeah. they ended up going for uh, going much younger for the role but when i was when i was preparing for the audition i you know my mind goes crazy uh about the potential and i love barry allen as a character um but uh other than that other than roles that i've actually thought of i can't really think uh, i can't really put my finger on a character that i saw and just needed to um take on sure that's fair um one of the other kind of guess perks uh, maybe of these kind of genre shows is the convention circuit that you can always mm-hmm. take part in. Do you go to a lot of conventions? Uh, I go to some. Uh, I, I'm a regular at the uh, Gallifrey One convention, which is the biggest Doctor Who convention, uh, the fan, biggest fan-run Doctor Who convention. And partly that's because it's in L.A., so it's easy to get to. Um, I have, I'm doing another convention, it looks like, a Doctor Who convention in San Diego this year. Um but to be honest, uh, I'm I'm kind of small potatoes in 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 the world in the in the genre world. So I I haven't been invited to much in the last couple of years. Um, and I, and I, and the second thing to that is that even at Gallifrey One, um, I haven't taken on I haven't asked for to have panels in the last couple of years because. I, I want to have new things to offer. Like I, I, it's very important to me to do something new and have something entertaining for people to see. Um, not just, not just me, right? right? You know, I don't want, I don't want to just be the attraction. I want to have something a little bit more exciting. So have, have you tried to do any like improv panels or anything there? I actually not there, but I did do, uh, at a convention in, uh, Oh, which one was it? Um, a convention in the Midwest. Um, I did a, a, we did an improvised episode of Doctor Who, which was kind of cool. And I also did a, a just an improv show, uh, which was kind of neat because that's my background too. I've I've been doing sketch and improv at the Acme Comedy Theater here in LA for a number of years. I have been told that is is the theater actually closing? It, am I? Did I hear that nope. or is nope? Nope, it's up. Okay, good. Nope. In fact, we uh, we just uh, have been starting to relaunch a lot of comedy shows. We we did stop doing company shows for a while, um, and we're mostly a rental theater for a number of years, um, a couple of years, I guess. And now one of the other big comedy theaters in town shut down IO West, um, which is um, and it was an extension of IO from Chicago, I guess, and. All those people are now coming to Acme to perform sketch, and cool. a lot of them doing improv. So it's uh, it's very exciting to have all uh, a new kind of um, a breath of energy coming into the theater. Which uh, I just I, I I've been take I started taking classes there 13 years ago. So wow. it's a big part of my LA life. I bet I bet it is, and it must be nice, um, especially if you you know remain ties for something like that to see it grow and to see like kind of new blood and to be regenerized uh 
Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what you kind of did after Community was was done mm-hmm. because um, I seem to recall uh, an untitled web series about a space traveler <laughs> yeah. who can also travel through time. Um, you got it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps. It's a <laughs> it is, but it's it was it's such a char. It was so charming because I think the first time you and I um, corresponded was around the time was it a, was it a Kickstarter or was it something? I it was a while ago. Yep. Well, so we've done a couple of fundraising. The first one was right. a Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, for the first season of the web series. Yeah, I think I think um, it was around that time I first got in touch with you, um, potentially about appearing on a different podcast I was on, uh, which is how your my email address got in your uh, your computer, uh, right? Which is which inspired this this conversation, which we can talk about in in a moment. But uh, remember, kind of hearing about that and seeing the the like the buzz and all these folks who were. Um, Doctor Who fans and community fans and fans from outside of it who were all taking part in this and it was it was really very cool and it was the first time I think I'd ever heard of crowd like crowdfunding um, mm-hmm. that was the first experience I'd seen it's like such a cool thing to be able to take that kind of an idea and to put it out there and say if you want to see this you know you can make this happen you as a exactly. community of fans can make this happen and they really they they bit down and uh, hard. They did. They did. Uh, and uh, and I and I it, I hope that it was a satisfying um, thing for people to see eventually. And I and I look at it and I'm very proud of what we did. I feel like we did a, we did good work for um, not very much money. And um, so yeah. And and hopefully we're still working on trying to do the movie now. Yeah. So I, I'd like to do that. And are you using that? Because I mean. You, how much of, of your inspiration is drawn from Doctor Who? Like, how much Doctor Who research and, and how much Doctor Who um, do you pull from? Or has this become an entity all its own? Well, so the the comparison I try to make is that um, uh, our the Inspector Chronicles is what it's called now. And that's, and that's only – we did that because once we decide to make a movie, we can't call it Untitled Web Series, right? Right, So right, I wanted to have a name that would be unifying to everywhere this is, whether it's, a, whether it's a movie or a web series or a radio show or a comic book or whatever. And so now it's all the Inspector Chronicles. Um, and the the subtitle will be Untitled Motion Picture about a space traveler who can also travel through time. Um, <laughs> and but, one day you're gonna get you're gonna get a, a marquee. You're gonna see that the full title on a marquee somewhere. Someone is gonna I be so. really adventurous. I actually don't expect any marquee to have the whole title, but it will be on the poster for sure. Sure. Um, the uh, so. The comparison I draw is that the Inspector Chronicles is to Doctor Who as uh, Galaxy Quest was to Star Trek. Fair enough. So you, we like to play with broad strokes uh, and maybe the tropes of the genre without being maybe too specific. So, you know, in in Doctor Who, there is a time machine that looks like an ordinary thing. There, He has a multi-tool. Um, he has a companion. Uh, and those are all fairly common sci-fi tropes those aren't even unique things to doctor who uh it's just that they're very familiar with doctor who so the inspector also has a time machine that looks like a a telephone booth in this case and he has a multi-tool um that is very cool and he has a companion um that he travels with 
But the dynamics of those relationships are very different for the inspector. And we try very hard to make it its own universe, not only on our own, but also with the assistance of, of the fans who have helped create a lot of this universe. So, um, yeah, we, we want it to be very much of its own uh, thing. When you are are writing these, how do you approach that, that intersection between science fiction and comedy and... Um, I was going to say parody, but it's not parody. It's it's homage and in, in, in basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how do you how do you as a writer? Uh, what's your kind of process for going? All right, we're going to have to take this and kind of appease all audiences and, and sort of what to expect. Well, uh, you start by not trying to appease to all audiences. Okay. You 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 write something that tickles you, and uh, and hopefully your sensibilities translate to something that you know more people will um, appreciate. But um, the you just try to come up with a good story. Now we uh, tried when we were doing the the web series. Well, first of all, my writing partner, Eric Loya, did the bulk of the writing on the first season. Like, I called him on the way home from the set my first time and told him that we needed to do a web series because my, t- my thought at the time was that we could um, sell it to NBC because supplemental content was such a big thing at the time. Sure. And so uh, he, but then he disappeared for like a week and didn't talk to me and I kept on calling him and asking him I was like what we need to get we need to be working on this and finally he uh he just sends me five scripts and it's <laughs> like okay well I just did it and at, at first I was a little miffed because I was like well I wanted to be involved in this process but then what he sent me was so amazing that we ended up just uh we we tweaked it and we polished it and I added a I added an episode before it to kind of introduce the characters a little bit. But um, we just ended up going with what he wrote. For then the second season, there was something very specific that I wanted to play with uh, uh, the trope, which was the idea that um, in sci-fi, when the main character is being convinced by the villain that everything he believes is wrong. So, for example, Buffy wakes up in an insane asylum and is being told she was never a vampire slayer. She's just a crazy girl. Or Riker wakes up in, in an insane asylum and is told that he's not actually a, you know, a Starfleet officer. <laughs> Those kind of things. So we wanted to play with that trope, but also twist it. And so that's what we've done with what was going to be season two of the web series, but is now the movie. Fascinating. That's really cool. Uh, speaking of different scenarios and stuff like that, um, I was watching some of your sketch show, the Travis Ritchie sketch show. Uh-huh. Tell us how that came about. Oh, well, that uh, came from, well, I mean, I've always loved sketch comedy. That's uh, uh, growing up I, as a kid, uh, I remember being about nine or 10 years old and my mom calling me into her room at night uh, to watch an episode of Saturday Night Live, and it was the Church Lady sketch. Um, and just from there, I fell in love with Saturday Night Live and used to watch those episodes on the weekends. My mom would let me stay up late, and then I would take those characters into school with me and entertain my friends with doing Church Lady and Hans and Franz and, uh, you know, Simon and um, all those characters. And um, that was kind of a defense mechanism for me against what was kind of an unpleasant childhood and so um comedy was was what i loved and 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 then when i moved to la sketch was what i gravitated towards at acme which was at the time probably the best sketch comedy in town and um uh so 
I was writing. Uh, One of the things that sets Acme aside is that you have to write and perform. Um, Whereas other schools would have people who just wrote or just performed. Acme, you do both. And so um, I was writing all this stuff. And I was also getting into YouTube uh, around the same time. And uh, and it just seemed natural to produce my own stuff. So um, at some point over the last few years, I started getting a level of quality that was good enough. So I've put together a pilot, a sketch comedy pilot, which I don't know what to do with, but it's there. It's on my channel. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, at some point I'll, I'll get representation and they'll be excited that I have all this content that I can, that they can shop around. Hopefully. Well, you've appeared on a lot of uh, high profile shows. Uh, what's it like to go from personal projects to something more mainstream? Well, first of all, it's a lot easier uh, because instead of, and, and, and it is a joy as an actor uh, to go from something where you are wearing all the hats or you're producing, writing. Uh, I almost never direct my own stuff, but uh, uh, then you have to edit and all that stuff to go to a, uh, a, an actual TV show where your only job is to act. And oh my God, it's so much fun. Like it... I, I was talking with someone recently who has had that opportunity and they found it incredibly stressful and difficult and, and realized that it's not what they wanted to do. But I had the opposite experience. Like when I was on, um, oh, I think my first network TV job was something called Sons of Tucson and I had a trailer um, uh, and I had, you know, like I had a costumer and a fitting, and a makeup artist, and all these things, and then I just had to go and perform. It was, ugh, I can't describe it. It's, it's, it just reinforces that it's what I'm, what I love, um, and I don't get to do it nearly as often as I would like. One of the things that we do when we bring on guests, or we ask their guests to come on, because we know that everyone that we talk to has some sort of connection um, in one form or another with Doctor Who. Uh-huh. But we also know that Doctor Who is not sort of the end-all and be-all of their fandom. So when we ask okay. a guest to come on, we ask a guest to uh, select a television show that they want to talk about. Would you tell us what show you've selected and, and why you selected that one? I have decided to talk about uh, Battlestar Galactica, the new series, uh, because it is still one of the best sci-fi shows that's ever been made. And I'm amazed that you haven't talked about it already. <laughs> well, we're a monthly podcast, and a lot of our uh, we we get a lot of folks who have a lot of suggestions, and uh, we're we're slowly making our notches down. And uh, yeah, when when you suggested, it, it's like this is really cool because this is one that I, I certainly had watched some of, but not all of, and it was really nice to go back and revisit it. Uh, when did you start watching the program? Did you start when it first came out? No, I think um, I, like many others, had to be shown it. And I remember a friend of mine, I think it was a friend by the name of Curtis Freisel, who bought the miniseries over uh, to my house. And uh, it was one of, it's one of those things where, you know, someone says, you have to watch this. And we sat down and we watched it and it was incredible. And I don't remember where the series was at that point. Um, like, I don't think at the beginning that I was watching it as it aired, I don't think I, I think it was maybe a season or two into it when, when I start, when I joined in. So, um, 
but yeah, after after a while, I started watching it and was watching it as it aired, and it's it was it was maddening because there were such long breaks between seasons, and they would break up a season into two seasons essentially. So instead of mm-hmm. instead of one season that you'd watch. They'd, they'd air the first half and then there'd be a cliffhanger and then the second half of the season would come like a year later or something like that. So I don't remember how long it took them to actually air four seasons. I think it took them like six years to air four seasons, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, there were some pretty big gaps. Um, I remember. Yep. And I, I think there was a writer strike maybe that hit in yes. the middle of that. Uh, right towards like the that. end. So yeah. Right, I think oh, right towards before, the end? I can't remember if it was during or right before season four. There was the writer strike, and and that kind of gummed up the works for a lot of shows. Oh yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, when the show came out, uh, it was on Sci-Fi, which was. Mm-hmm. Did you? I'm trying to try to think of this because I didn't have cable when it came out. I didn't watch Sci-Fi, but I didn't hear really positive things about the network because it was reruns at the time and yeah. some of their content. And it was coming at a time in the early 2000s when science fiction didn't have the best reputation. And Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that Battlestar Galactica really brought sci-fi back into the public eye and gained garnered a level of respectability that it didn't have before. What about the show do you think kind of took advantage of that moment? Like what do you think was the reason that this is the thing that kind of sparked – the public's interest. Yeah, and I think that the, the thing to keep in mind is that Battlestar Galactica didn't come out of a vacuum. It was it came on the shoulders of other shows like, um, uh, in my opinion, uh, D- Deep Space Nine and uh, and Babylon Five. Um, concurrently, were two shows that really paved the way for Battlestar Galactica, which was able to then come and do uh, a serialized story, which is to say, a story that isn't. Uh, a reset every week so right. the story continued and there were repercussions and there was a long arc for uh for the characters and the story as a whole um that was new at the time and n- people don't remember that that didn't happen then it's it's normal now but uh and f- and also we were dealing with a a, a fairly recent 9/11 uh at the time and yeah. so Battlestar Galactica was able to tap into the zeitgeist of of society which i think is actually what sci-fi does best um good sci-fi is able to speak about issues and uh and kind of the deeper um humanity uh without being so obvious about it um and so battlestar galaka dealt with things like xenophobia and mistrust and uh the power of the military and you know um all those things while still being able to be a space show you know so people could decide to take it seriously or as an allegory or not um but it was also the production value was better than anything that had been on before then. The acting was amazing. It's just a master class in acting and writing. So, um, uh, yeah, it had all that going for it. And it was lucky that it just happened to be able to succeed. Like People were able to discover it. Because you're right, sci-fi, the Sci-Fi Channel was not the place to find good television at the time. 
Now, was this new to you, or were you a fan of the original series in the 70s? Uh, so I was aware of the original series only in so much as my, like I said, my older brothers would probably watch it. And so mm-hmm. I remember I remember elements of it. Um, like I remember Starbuck and Apollo and um, some sort of bird man guy. <laughs> or that might have been Buck Rogers. I don't know. Uh, I was... I think I might conflate the two, but um, yeah. So yeah, I, that was Buck Rogers. Okay, there you go. Um, and then, so yeah, I, I I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember it has one of the best TV theme songs uh, ever oh, written. Yeah. So, Brent, were you a um, original series fan? Oh, very much. That's where my um, well, actually, Star Wars is where my sci-fi love came from. Oh yeah, me too. I was like. I was like five when that came out and went to see it with my dad. So before that, it was, you know, Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and Barry Manilow Records. And after <laughs> after, uh, after Star Wars, it was, it was all sci-fi stuff and rock music, and I was just totally changed. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's when lots of TV shows wanted to copy Star Wars, and I think that's probably where Battlestar Galactica came from. Sure, absolutely. It was, yeah. Yeah, but I love that show. I got a lot of the toys when I was a kid, uh, a lot of the action figures and that kind of thing. And this the spinoff in 1980, Galactica 1980. So I was excited when this came out, but for some reason I, I never watched it. I always wanted to see it, and I've tried to start it a couple of times. But uh, Wait, even till yeah, now? Is this is this your, you watched it for the first time for this? I'd seen the pilot. The three-hour pilot, like the miniseries uh-huh. for this, I'd seen that a couple of times, but I don't know. I got distracted with other things and and didn't sit down. Uh, this time I watched uh, the first three episodes, uh-huh. and uh, when I got to the one about the prison and Richard Hatch showed up, I lost my mind. Right, that's the original Apollo. That yeah, was cool. and uh, and then we watched the last three, which was really good. I mean, there's. There's parts that I was a little lost on. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I made you... Oh, there's such spoilers then. Oh, no, 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 then. no, no. I don't think there were any major, major spoilers there. So, uh, But the journey of that show is so great. Uh, and I just recently watched the entire thing again. And I think, it'll, it, I think it was my third time through. Um, uh-huh. I did Deep Space Nine again, too, for the third time through. And uh, they're both just so good. And Battlestar Galactica is... Um, is also great because it's fairly satisfying. You have this big epic journey, but you also have a pretty satisfying ending, which is hard to do on television. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you if you were, if you as a fan of the the program liked the way it ended, um, because I I know people who and I watched the first three seasons uh, and I just never got around to season four, and I heard a lot of people who weren't satisfied and they're sort of like, yeah, don't don't bother and i'm like that's that's kind of a bummer i really enjoyed it and so i didn't until uh this week yeah i think that uh, i i think don't bother is a harsh thing it's not like it's not like lost where um i lost was one of my favorite shows until the last season and the last season was so disappointing it ruined the entire rest of the show for me battlestar didn't do that battlestar was maybe not the most satisfying kind of ending that you could have, but it also it worked in mm-hmm. its own way, you know, because they um I don't know I don't know how, but they managed to set up a world where 
this it, the way it ended was kind of just okay it, it worked for me yeah. so it's not you know i can see how people would be disappointed and i wasn't i wasn't supremely like satisfied it wasn't like breaking bad which just worked on every element the ending is just it was perfect um but it was still good that's cool uh Battlestar Galactica was the first show that I took advantage of Netflix so when it, I got someone said you're gonna wa- you have to watch this I watched the miniseries I think they handed me like back when they had video stores uh, yep. The town I was in had a video store. I watched it and I'm like, this is fabulous, but they didn't have the regular seasons. And so I would get the Netflix discs. I don't even know if people yep. still do that anymore uh, because I didn't have, I don't even Wi-Fi. Home Wi-Fi was just wasn't a thing at, at this no, point in time. No. And I remember watching two to three episodes a night and getting like the three discs at a time. So I would like sure. send one disc back and then sit and watch and sit and watch and sit and watch. And then right at this this moment at some maybe midway through season three i lost my job and uh i suddenly didn't i had all this free time and i'm like oh well this is perfect i'll just continue and finish watching the entirety of the program and i don't think season four was out yet maybe at this point point in time uh-huh. uh and instead of watching it, i decided that i had to you know get back on the horse and get a new job and you know take charge and i, I just never came back to it oh. like uh, and that's but i still uh, I still very much associate the program with Netflix and with this this idea that suddenly any program that I wanted was available. And this is like again before streaming, so I uh, now it it just didn't seem uh, all that weird. But there's still this connect where if I wanted to watch the next episode, at most all I had to do was wait a day. So I didn't have what that experience that you had, which was what is going to happen next. Right. Which I think is a really powerful way as a community to watch a program because there's all these shows that are, are great, like, like lost. Um, I didn't watch lost. I, I watched the first episode of lost the night, the finale aired. I mean, I was just oh. way behind. So there was never a week that I had to skip or anything like that. So I didn't have, yeah, I think I was definitely, uh, lost was that, uh, I, it was, closer for me to what you were talking about with uh Battlestar where I was I I think I was getting the episodes on DVD and watching them but I did do this thing with Lost where I would only I used it as motivation to go to the gym like I only allowed myself to watch episodes on my iPad video at the time or my <laughs> my iPod video with that little 2-inch screen <laughs> oh, on the treadmill or the elliptical machine um I think that binging is uh, ultimately a bad thing like because when you when you watch an episode of good television, whether it's you know when you think back to the Star Trek days, uh, you know when we were watching ne- uh, Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or whatever show, or or now when we're watching, if you're watching Game of Thrones or Westworld, as it airs, um, you spend a week kind of ruminating over that episode. And what it means, and what happened, and what, and I think it makes it mean more, and also makes it more memorable, because I think to the shows that I've binged, and uh, a lot of times I won't be able to remember episodes. Like I'll be like, I don't remember what happened in this episode because it was just one of five episodes I watched in that night, or whatever, you know. So. I don't know. I think it's best. I think it's really good if we can if we can force ourselves to only watch an episode at a time of a show, even if it's to take a day um, to ruminate 
I agree. That's that. I I think that's the way I I prefer to watch television. Um, I don't watch as much TV as I used to, um, but even when I go back and watch old Doctor Who, I prefer you know even the the classics of these twenty five minute stories. I prefer to wait a day or a couple of days in between uh, because if I watch it all at once, the recaps the sort of the beginning start to feel extraneous, but. I don't get that experience yep. that, you know, people 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, got when they were, you know, having to wait a week to see what happens next and ending on a cliffhanger. Yeah. It makes cliffhangers, which is an art. Cliff, You know, a good cliffhanger is a real art form. And one yeah. of the things that Battlestar's got in spades is a, a narrative. Great cliffhangers. Great cliffhangers. Yeah. I and you want to watch the next episode right away. And, and, and what you're saying about the previously on, the recaps, mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica has, you know, that previously on Battlestar Galactica, every episode. <laughs> and those get really annoying if you are watching three or four episodes at a time. Um, but Or if you just watched the last episode yesterday. But... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> what I think is really cool about their opening titles is that... They show the credits, and then they show like a little montage of what you're about to see in this episode. Yeah, as the opening. Yeah. So it's different every week. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, we try, and I take actually some of that into my own stuff. Like with the Inspector Chronicles web series, we did something different with each opening. Um, at the opening and closing of the episodes, we did something different each week or each uh, episode. So. I like I like stuff like that. I like rewarding your audience um, and, and having them pay attention. But at the same time, I think that there is something to be said for having a good opening title sequence. Uh, like I would sit through the first season of Westworld. I sat through that opening title sequence every time because it was so brilliant. Um, season two, not so much, but whatever. <laughs> I that's another program where uh, I you know I, I've got it queued uh, I will eventually go to see it and you know everyone's screaming for me to watch it I, occasionally an episode will air and they're like oh we really want to know what you thought of that I'm like I will get to it um, oh man I know I know and we're living in this age where the stuff that's coming out on TV is almost with with few exceptions infinitely better than the stuff that we're getting out in the theaters it oh, again yeah. depending on what you are going to the theater or staying at home to watch um right. you know there's there's a renaissance in television i think it's been going on for probably the better part of a decade now where the stuff yep. they put out is so great and everyone's getting on board you know these streaming services that just originally existed to show you other people's stuff are putting out just rock solid programming and that's true i cannot keep up with it in a way that keeps me in touch uh, without just kind of devoting my life to that like i'm no yeah and that's the thing that's uh, there's so much good stuff and that and not as many people are watching any one thing so it's harder to find people sometimes to talk to about stuff mm-hmm. and um yeah. and, and and we're all watching it on our own schedule so you know you might not have watched Westworld yet, but your friends watch it right away, but you'll get to it eventually. And, you know, but your, you know, meanwhile, your friend has moved on to The Handmaid's Tale on a different streaming network. And it's like, uh, and so there's just all this different stuff. And we're all, you know, it's not, we're not talking about it around the water cooler because, you know, too many people are like, I haven't seen it yet. I'll watch it tonight. Right. Because that's an option. And it didn't used to be. Actually, speaking yeah. of so, which, um, did you, how well did you avoid spoilers? 
um, while watching this because this is a show that did come out at the time where internet in people's homes was was a thing, right? Not, not shows that came yeah. before. I think it was just a thing. Um, pretty well. I, I'm pretty good at uh, I'm pretty good at avoiding spoilers in general. I uh, early early on in the internet, I learned how to be disappointed um, by stuff. <laughs> So, like, you know, I'm talking about the prequel episodes for Star Wars or uh, or uh, Alien 4 in particular were both very disappointing to me because I got um, my hopes up. And so right. now I've learned to avoid um, both spoilers and uh, enthusiasm. <laughs> so I just to keep my just to keep my expectations in check. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think I I don't think I managed to get spoiled on anything for Battlestar Galactica. Well, that's cool. How about uh, Caprica? Did you watch that? Oh, huh. uh, you know, yeah, I did at first. Um, but then it was just, you know, with with uh, with respect to Jane Espenson, it was kind of boring. Um, uh, so I didn't finish it. I, have, I haven't gone back and tried again. But it was a different show. Caprica was a soap opera. And, and it Battlestar was more of a, you know, sci-fi, a proper sci-fi military kind of, you know, show. Um, I never went back and watched Blood and Chrome either, but I can't remember if that was, if that actually made it to series or if it ended up just being a miniseries or a movie of the week or something like that. Which was going to be, it was going to be another, uh, a prequel series, which first of all, prequel series are never a good idea. Um, whether it's Star Trek uh, uh, Enterprise or Discovery, which I haven't even, I couldn't even bring myself to watch the rest of. So, nobody cares about prequels. I want to see what happens next. Right. Hmm. That's an interesting way of thinking about same it. Here. The other thing tricky is too when you're when you're especially if you cast the same actors, you're always dealing with a situation where, you know, if they've been in the part for four years, then you have to make them younger. Uh, that doesn't. There's a certain level of disbelief that that can be extended. Um, yeah, but even or, or even having the same character, that's you, true. You know that that character is going to survive. They're, they can never right. get in I, enough yeah. danger where you are worried about them too much because you know that they were, you know, they lived. So. Unless they yeah, didn't, know. and they're just Cylons. Uh, but <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Are you a board game person at all? A little bit. A little bit. Did um, you ever play the Battlestar Galactica board game? I did not. I highly I did not. recommend it. Really? Okay. Uh, there I is didn't know there was a, one. a really ingenious mechanic in it that allows players, you know, you and your close friends can all sit at the table and play, and the paranoia that one of you, or one or more of you as a Cylon is so palpable uh and the game itself generates that paranoia there's there's a mechanic that allows you to honest to goodness think that like even you could all not be cylons and you're still going to play the game as if you were um and yeah so anyone listening that's uh, fun it sounds like um it sounds like uh uh integrating like elements of uh secret hitler or uh or werewolf into a board game yeah um secret hitler hadn't come out when when um battlestar but um, but definitely werewolf was was a part of that right um and there is a mechanic that once you have been revealed as a cylon your role in the game changes and you you play as specific characters so you know if you're a dama you can do something that only Adama can do. And if you're Baltar, you can do something that only Baltar could do. Um, and they came out with expansions. So as the characters' roles on the program changed, 
uh, or evolved, uh, you could choose to play season one, season two, season three, or season four. Oh, um, I interesting. never played past season one um, because the, the, the initial board game itself is really nice. But I'm a I'm a game guy, so like that's sort of the thing that really appeals to me. Um, usually, it's just they just give you a shell of whatever the show is, and it's just a generic sure. mechanic. But this game is a super fun game to play. Um, it's a little complicated, so you want to definitely play with people who know how to play board games. But uh, if you like that paranoia factor, uh, and you like uh, you know trying to figure out who gets to control the nukes uh, and who get who gets to go to the brig, then I, I recommend it. It's a good one. That does sound brilliant. I like that. My uh, my favorite game that I don't get to play often enough is uh, Risk Twenty Two Ten. Sure, it's like a Risk set in the future. Mm-hmm. So and I kind of like it because of that. But uh, and the, there's a new Risk called Risk Legacy, which is like the it's like. Um, there's another game that I can't remember what it is. Pandemic. Uh, Pandemic, yeah, where the every time you play the game, the rules change. Yes. And uh, and so I, I want to get a group together to play Risk Legacy um, like every every month for a year <laughs> or something like that, just to, just to do that. But. Uh, having just completed that every month for a year uh, scenario, I, I can highly recommend it. And even if you think you are really good or really dislike Risk, the Risk Legacy changes the game so dramatically that you will super enjoy it yeah oh i can't wait yeah it is is really fun uh so what kind of projects are you working on now that you can tell folks about before we wrap up well so uh the feature film for the inspector chronicles is still in the works we've got we've still got the actors attached we've got our first investor on board as of last year uh the tricky thing is i'm looking for uh i'm looking for more investors we have a minimum budget of about two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is teeny tiny for a motion picture but if you've seen our prequel episode or our proof of concept uh short that we did a couple of years ago you can see that we are able to do a lot with a little bit of money right absolutely and yeah, so uh, so the next step is to try to find investors for the feature. We actually have to give our initial investors money back uh, next year. We only can keep it for two years. And so um, if we don't get it done by then, I think it's probably not going to happen, oh. unfortunately. Yeah, so that's motivation. Um, but at the same time, I'm focusing a lot on writing. Uh, I, have, uh, I did a pilot. Uh, I wrote a pilot of a drama TV series last year that I really love. Um, and I have an, I have two more pilots that I'm working on right now, one with a, a writing partner and one on my own. And then after that, two more in the works. Um, wow. so yeah, I've got, uh, I just want to make stuff. And so in the meantime, I'm looking for, you know, unfortunately writing something only helps you if you have someone to help you get in the door to pitch it to, sure. you know. Company, so now I'm also working on getting management, uh, lit management, who maybe can get me a lit agent um a literary agent that is and uh, they can get me meetings and you know maybe make some stuff or we'll see uh there's also a tv show that i've got my eyes on that i really want to get made um uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with a uh a book series called wild cards oh yeah the george r r martin stuff mm-hmm. yeah so he edited them and um uh melinda snodgrass uh is one of the other co-editors and also contributors to the series and she oh, from star trek uh, right? yeah she wrote on star trek next generation right so she and i became friends um 
uh, because of you know the convention circuit and we met and we became friends and so uh, she is working on getting the show made um, it's just been um, and, and there's been some momentum on that but it's also the, it's also been stalled for various reasons so I'm really hoping that that can go forward because I want uh, that would be a perfect kind of universe for me to be in too like it's it's genre it's superheroes it's uh um, it's very cool, but it's dark and gritty, and yeah. I would love to be part of that world. So, yeah, those anthologies I mean, are fantastic. A lot of it, a lot of the stories came generated through their, their uh, that group of friends and their role playing. Uh, I know they did a lot of role playing yep. games together, and uh, some of their yeah, adventures absolutely. got written up in the anthologies. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've read uh, most of the new series uh, from Tor, and also I started I went back and started reading the books from from the beginning. Got up through like book seven, and um, uh, and actually Melinda posted a post a month or two ago with her dream casting <gasps> for Wild Cards, and she put me as uh, Pop and Jay, which I thought would be great. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's super sweet. Well, um, if you want people to get in touch with you and find you on the internet, how would they do that? Well, you can follow me on Facebook or uh, uh, Twitter. I don't really use except as uh, regurgitating stuff from other channels. But I post regularly to Instagram now if I can and Facebook. So you can follow me on both of those things. That's awesome. And YouTube. Uh, I, I still I want to get back to YouTube, although I haven't really done much there uh, in the last year or so. But the, I still have a ton of content, like 200-some videos uh, on my YouTube channel. So. That's awesome. Well, well, Travis Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us uh, on Who and Company. Uh, Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at Who and Company, support the show at patreon.com slash Who and Company, or email us at Who and Company at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Oh my god, is that a yes? <laughs> this is a yes. <laughs> so we're gonna do this. You're gonna move in? Okay, because that is like, oh, awesome. That is so, uh, you know? Woo! <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? Hmm. Here's what I'm thinking. Let's do a secret spill. I don't know what that is, but it sounds hot. (laughs) No, no. Um, What I mean is maybe we tell each other all the things that we don't know about each other so that when we eventually do move in together, there's no surprises or secrets. And it doesn't even have to be that big. Look, it could be something like, I don't like dogs, you know, simple like that. I'll go first. I don't like dogs. Okay. Well, oh, I don't even know what to say because, uh, you know, I try not to keep secrets from you, you know? Um, okay, here's one. I eat glass. You eat glass. Well, I guess have eaten. I have eaten glass. It's a small but important distinction. Okay, your turn. <laughs> okay, um, hmm. Okay, here's a funny one. Sometimes when I'm really, really tired and I get home late from work, I don't really feel like taking my makeup off, so I just go to sleep with it on and it gets all over the pillowcase but don't worry I always clean the pillowcase every time I wake up in the morning wasn't even a little bit worried (laughs) okay my turn I used to be a man your turn you mean you used to be a woman um if you'd let me finish maybe your next secret reveal should be that you always interrupt people you were 
clearly finished. You said your turn. Uh, okay, miss, I need to be right all the time. Now we're just arguing semantics. If you had let me finish, I would have clarified and said I was born a man, but then I switched to being a woman in the 90s because what else was I going to do? And then I switched back to being a man. Your turn. Okay, um, I clipped my toenails in the living room while watching TV. Gross. I don't like chocolate. Okay, see? Now that is tame, borderline normal. Unless it is formed in the shape of cute little forest animals like bunnies or fawns that I can bite the cute little heads right off of. You see what happens when you interrupt people? Your turn. You know what? I think that secret spill time is over. I'm all secreted out, and I think we should move on. So Actually, let's... you know what? I have this list of secret spill secrets that I thought maybe we should just go through together. Wait, wait, what? what? You said that you didn't know what secret spill was. Oh, I guess maybe you should just take a gander at number 13 then. I often lie about my knowledge of secret spills. So just uh, let me go ahead and shoot through the rest of these. I'll just go over the main ones. Um, I ask people for money claiming I have medical problems when in fact I'm spending the money to research a book I'm writing called Why Do We Cook Bacon and Bake Cookies? Think about that. I once spent a week convinced I was a pair of shorts. I once tried to smother you to death while you were sleeping, but you woke up and I covered by saying I love you for the first time. Hmm. The following are things I don't believe actually exist. Computers, tissue paper, Jack Nicholson, and Alaska. Oh, when I was a kid, I would read Superman comics, but I always thought it was Supperman, and I was like, what gives you the right to be all British and uppity? Well, just call yourself Dinner Man, you jackass. But then I realized my mistake, and I was all like, oops. Yep, I once abducted some aliens. And last but not least, I really, really really enjoyed the movies Gigli and Glitter and am currently penning scripts for their sequels. Okay. Wow. Um, that's a lot to take in. Uh, okay. Wow. Um, I just said that. Because, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can deal with that. I... I mean, there's a lot that we need to work on. I mean, the whole Geely glitter thing, but I really do love you, and that's all that matters. And if I can't accept you for who you are, then then what's the point, you know? I. The only thing that matters is that we love each other. Oh, that was beautiful. I don't think this is gonna work out. What? I mean, seriously, you don't like any dogs? 